0: All right. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you guys again. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for having our family. There's uh, s- seven out of nine of us here this morning, so m- most most of us. That's a pretty good percentage. Not bad. Uh, is it growing? Yeah, yeah. The o- the oldest two uh, have stuff going on. My oldest son is uh, playing bass in the worship band at our uh, home church today and then our uh, our oldest our daughter she uh, she had wisdom teeth removed yesterday, so she figured she didn't want to come with chipmunk cheeks, you know. Uh, and Anyway, so she's home recovering. Um, it was a little touch and go whether all of us were going to be able to go because she was having a little harder time yesterday than we anticipated, but uh, she did rally. So uh, anyway, um, so Caleb and Riley are not here, but the rest of us are. Carissa, my wife, and uh, five of our kids. were are I don't know who's normally in the center third row. I know that usually most churches have like name plates, basically. And so we probably took somebody's spot, so I just want to say, I'm sorry. So if if this is your row, I certainly apologize. Uh, uh, But uh, I I know how it is. You know, we have our our little sweet spot that we like to go to, right? So I hope you guys had a a good Christmas season. Uh, We did at our house... um, I I think I was supposed to tell you a little bit about myself um uh we do have we do have seven kids we we have some goats I think we have seven goats also uh not normally normally we have lots more goats than kids surprisingly enough um but I think we're 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 whittling that down not the kids but the goats and so that's good I in my opinion it's good um but we have we've got a, a few dogs we've got a few cats we've got uh no birds um uh, although we do feed some outside. And uh, what else? I've been married for 23 years. Uh, I was a pastor on staff at a, a converged Church for 10 years um, in, a, in a former life, you know, from uh, the first like 10 years of my career. And then I've been working sales for the last 14 years. And uh, in the midst of that was a bivocational pastor on staff. And the last couple years have just been uh, just taking opportunities as the Lord leads to uh, um, to, uh, to help out a church in need from time to time. So, um, I think Shay reached out to me a number of uh, months ago to to come out, so apparently, uh, you know, you're having me again, so it's nice to be here. Um, Appreciate you guys, and uh, it is, my wife and I really, in our family considers it an honor to come alongside other congregations and just join in, seeing how God is at work here in Stanwood is a a joy to our heart, to be a part of what you guys are doing, to hear about the things and how God is moving with the Women's Bible Study, put a big plug in for that, that's fantastic, clearly the Holy Spirit is at work and moving uh, in this place, and that's that's really exciting, um, and it sounds like that's a good meal to be had. Uh, so, uh, the men's breakfast, breakfast burrito—that's fantastic. So, Good Baptist Church. All right. So, I, ho- I, I did hope you have a good Christmas. Um, real quick, there's there's two times in the message. Well, you know, as the Spirit leads, we'll see. But there's a couple times where I want to actually get a little bit of feedback from you. So, like, what are some Christmas memories that are like favorite traditions that you have here in Stanwood? Or your own personal family. It doesn't have to be With Centric. Lights of Christmas, okay. How many go caroling? Anybody caroling? Yeah? Uh, uh, candlelight service, okay. Christmas Eve, candlelight service. That's fantastic. You do sing Silent Night with the candles. Very good. Uh, how about uh, um, uh, you open up all your gifts on Christmas Eve? No, that's a heresy. Okay. Uh, so you, you wait till Christmas morning. That's fantastic. Omelet bar on morning. What? Omelet bar. Oh, omelet bar. I, said, I thought you said something else about a bar on Christmas morning, but an omelet bar sounds amazing. I think that is fantastic. I mean, uh, how many are here for turkey on Christmas? Uh, how many are here for uh, ham? Christmas ham. Okay, turkey, <laughs> ham, prime rib, beef. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. All right, that's good. Fantastic. Um, How about Christmas cookies? Any of you guys make Christmas cookies every year? Okay, so that's one of our favorite uh, things as a family to do is Christmas cookies. And for whatever reason, I had the opportunity to be at home for that process. I'm not normally, I think, a part of the baking of. Normally, we do like a couple hundred cookies, you know, seven or eight different recipes and kind of crank them all out in one day. I say we, but it's really them. Uh, You get the little minions working and and, uh, they can do a lot, you know, uh, in a short amount of time. And so I had the opportunity to try to mess up as many cookies as possible this year. And so I was responsible for putting the little um, Hershey kisses like, what was it, one-third, just 33% into, or was it 66%, it was, like, was two-thirds into, into the cookie dough, just to make sure that it, you know, seals the kiss properly, uh, as every good kiss should be, and, and just, just rest in that, but doesn't go all the way through, and, you know, you got to get that sweet spot for that Hershey kiss, so that was my main responsibility, and I think I pulled it off, um, but the kids really love like, rolling out the dough, and then they bust out, like, the cookie shapes, and I, I started just thinking about that and, you know, just, You know, uh, we have all these illustrations from our analogies or images or metaphors for, uh, for how God works in our life. And, uh, you know, there's this great metaphor of like, you know, the master working the clay and, but, you know, sometimes it's this five-year-old working the, working the dough and then picking, is it going to be a Christmas tree? Is it going to be a deer? Is it going to be, uh, you know, a bell? Um, but it's going to be made into an image and it's going to, you know, it's going to, cut out of that dough and, and, you know, when you pull all the rest of it away, like you have this bell or a gingerbread or a Christmas tree or, or a hat or whatever it is, and it's just, that's the image that this five-year-old or seven-year-old wanted to make, and uh, just reminded this morning that, you know, the Lord, I think, wants to shape us into, um, Uh, people that reflect his image. And we're going to kind of get into what that looks like this morning. Um, But I I just thought, I love cookies. And so it was a good illustration that brought me kind of to where we're going to go this morning. We are going to open up the word to uh, Amos chapter 5. We have a little bit of scripture to get through today. Um, I always figure God's word is better than my words, so if that's okay, we're going to kind of hit a lot of scripture. Um, but if you want to, uh, it might take you a while to find Amos if you're like me, that uh, you don't spend as much time in uh, the Minor Prophets as um, as maybe I should. But uh, Amos 5 is, is there for me. It's on I don't know, my Bible doesn't have pages. Oh, no, yeah, for me, it's 1148. It's kind of, you know, two thirds of the way through. So Amos chapter five, you'll find that Hosea, Joel, Amos, it's, it's, uh, you know, before Micah. Um, so you, you can, you can find that there. But let me give you a little bit of historical context for uh, the book of Amos. So Amos was a, a prophet, uh, but really he was a Judean shepherd. He didn't have goats. I think he had sheep. This uh, so was like a true shepherd, right? And he was also a fig tree farmer. And so this is like a salt of the earth, like farmer Amos guy. So he was from this little town south of Jerusalem called Tekoa. And about 10, minute, 10 miles south of Jerusalem. So, so he existed, you know, somewhere, historians would say somewhere around 750 B.C. And so this is before Christ. This is, uh, you know, obviously... Um, Post-Abraham, pre-Jesus, you know, in this time period as we're following the Israelites. Also post-separation, so you had the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. You had Judea and you had Israel. And so uh, Amos was a farmer. He was, uh, you know, somebody that just worked the land um, that God had blessed him with and had the opportunity to raise uh, sheep and um, produce from his trees in his orchard. And so this was who he was. And then one day, God calls him as this, you know, Judean shepherd and calls him to go to the north, go to Israel, and to bring God's word. And so he kind of, you know, left his sheep behind. And, you know, I'm sure he, uh, sure he got somebody to take care of his sheep. Uh, you know, whenever we go somewhere, we got to get someone to take care of our goats. It's, it's you know, it's, it's a hassle, you know. So I'm sure Amos had a bit of a hassle. I don't know what his family was like. Maybe he had seven kids. And uh, maybe they would take care of the sheep and, and keep, keep everything going. But he left that behind to do God's will. And he moved into the north. And he kind of settled in this little town called Bethel, and began to preach God's word. And the book of Amos is kind of a collection of his uh, his word to God's chosen people in Israel in this northern kingdom. And during this time, this northern kingdom was experiencing all sorts of kind of like uh, good success, material wealth, growth, military power. Uh, uh, Jeroboam was the king at the time, and he had really brought um, some good material success to the northern kingdom. They were, um, they were able to uh, have great kind of influence in the neighboring area as kind of the biggest, baddest guy on the block at that time. And, uh, and they were, um, in the midst of uh, all of this material success, they still gathered regularly for their religious services. They still uh, provided all sorts of offerings and all sorts of uh, sacrifices and, and did many of the things that God had called them as God's people to do. And yet, all of this material wealth and this success, and the military prowess, and all of that they had experienced, had really allowed um, allowed there to be, you know, as this great economic success, there was there was a great divide between a, 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 a deepening divide, a growing divide between those that had and those that didn't. And uh, so, this is kind of the context of where we find Amos um, coming into the north and uh, speaking God's word uh, to to the people of Israel. Um, part of the problem, what Amos was seeing, what God was seeing, and brought Amos to bring to their attention, was that the wealthy uh, were denying justice at the gate. And if you know anything of the Israel culture, the gate was where. Justice was done. This was like the court system uh, for Israel and Judea and God's chosen people. It was at the gate, the kind of the public co- uh, place where the civil discourse would happen and justice was dispersed. And uh, what we we're finding is that some, uh, that the poor specifically were being denied justice at the gate, uh, that they were developing uh, more and more uh, problems with getting into debt, as uh, this is likely to do so when you have a growing wealthy class and a growing poverty class, um, you had more and more debt happening, and unfortunately the, the, the poor were being sold into debt slavery. And there was a kind of a growing amount of allowing the oppression of the poor while the rich gained power, money, and influence. Um, This is a little bit of a thumbnail sketch for like what you would find what's going on in uh, this culture that Amos was moving into to speak God's word. And so first Amos kind of speaks to all of the nations surrounding Israel and Israel's like, oh yeah, that's good. I like it, you know, like these guys are doing this and these guys over there are doing that and those guys are there doing that. And, uh, and they're like, hey, we kind of like this Amos guy. And then all of a sudden the crosshairs uh, went from the other surrounding areas and then specifically into what was going on and what God was seeing happening in the hearts and minds and in the lives of the people in Israel. Rather than seeking out opportunities to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly, There is a culture that had embraced arrogance, idolatry, self-righteousness, and materialism in the midst of still maintaining worship gatherings, offerings, and sacrifices, still doing these things. But this is where Amos found himself. And so uh, we'll go to chapter 5, verse 4 this morning. And I'm going to read kind of a larger section of scripture than I uh, normally would, uh, but I think it's worth While, I love the poetry that we read in the Minor Prophets, um, it's uh, beautiful and uh, really powerful. So let's read Amos chapter 5, verse 4. For thus the Lord said to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O oh, you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, he who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and dark into the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many your transgressions are and how great your sins, who, you who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. So the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph." Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, in all the streets they shall say, alas, alas. They shall call the farmers to mourning and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire for the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feast, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace of offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen." But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amen. Amen. It's not exactly the words of hope uh, that maybe the people of Israel wanted to hear from Amos, this prophet from God. Um, but let me pray. Father, uh, this morning, we, uh, we see that this is your word. This is your word for us. And uh, we trust that you are doing something and we uh, we believe that you are at work continually, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we marvel at that and the beauty of that. And we trust for you to do great things this morning in your name. We pray. Amen. All right. So, uh, how about? Okay. So, so that so what we find is is a little bit of a like an interesting situation that Amos is finding in the north, and that the Lord is kind of bringing to. Some, you know, words of clarity, you could say. Um, and, I, you know, I know that that is a separate place. It is a separate uh, separate time period. This is, again, around 750 BC. It is not 2023. This is not the United States of America. This is Israel and the Northern Kingdom. And this is a southern uh, shepherd uh, from, you know, Tekoa going up into Israel. And I know that there is a time and a place and a context for that. However, I do would ask, I would ask this morning, do you notice any similarities between this culture that Amos is speaking into and today's culture? Is it possible to like, to see like, yeah, there are some similarities. And if so, raise your hand and shout them out. Amen. Well, amen. Excellent. So what are you seeing? What are you hearing? <laughs> what? Materialism. Materialism. Okay. People care too much about money. Thank you, young lady. People care too much about money. Okay. Rebellion against God. Some, they, hate people who speak truth. they hate people who speak truth yeah oppression or suppression of truth I think is what I heard yeah anything else insincerity In what did you say truth is relative, truth is relative. yeah evil. hate people evil, evil. right I think we could probably find some similarities, right? And again, different context, different place, different culture, different time period, and yet God's word stands eternal. And we wonder, like, okay, does God have something for us today? And can the prophet Amos speak to us like he was speaking to the people in this northern kingdom? And so Amos is is like sharing the words of the Lord, saying that the day of the Lord is coming, and it's not a pretty picture, right? It is talking about darkness coming, things that are difficult, things that are harsh, there's a punishment coming, there are things that are, there are consequences for what is going on in the northern kingdom. And God is bringing this day of the lord and it's like i love that what is it run from a bear and then find a lion like you know um like the imagery that we find in these like the poetry in the beautiful historical prophetic poetry is just wonderful and in the images that we get from it But we kind of get the idea that the the true worship of God does not allow there to be such injustice happening in the gates. That true worship of God is not a place where there's materialism on the rise. That true worship of the creator God leads to something other than what they're experiencing there in the northern kingdom. In fact, the true worship of God would lead to righteousness and justice, loving our neighbor. Like this is what the true worship of God looks like. Seeking the Lord leads to uh, sharing his heart and that our heart and his heart would be intertwined. And that heart that God has for people would be the heart that his people have for people. And when those things don't line up, uh, we see that there needs to be some sort of correction. And that's where the prophet Amos comes in. And so he he uses like this beautiful phrase there at the end that, um, you know, verse 24, right? It says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And so we have these two terms in Hebrew, uh, justice and righteousness, which would be tzedekah and mishpat. Mishpat is justice, uh, which would be actions taken to correct injustice. To make right relationships. And the tzedakah would be the righteousness or right relationships where there would be equity despite social difference. And so we have these words of righteousness and justice that flow through all of the scriptures. Through all of the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, we find over and over uh, themes of righteousness and justice flowing through scriptures, because it is what flows through the heart of God, because it is his character, it is who he is. He brings justice, he brings righteousness. But he doesn't leave them hanging completely, um, right? That's a kind of a hopeless passage, right? So let's flip over to Amos chapter 9, and we can find the hope that Amos brings, In verse 11, talking about the restoration of Israel, he says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Eden and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. And so there's this beautiful picture. Like, you know, we have the cheat sheet. We know that when he says, in that day I will raise up the booth of David that is fallen, we know because we have the New Testament, we know that that root of David, that booth of David is the Davidic Messiah himself, Jesus Christ, right? Come, we just celebrated during the Christmas season that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, that he is the root of David. He is the one that is the prophetic answer to Amos chapter 9. He is the fulfillment of this prophecy. He is the one that would bring the hope, the ultimate hope. It is so great that Amos leaves hope for the people of Israel. One day, this Messiah, one day, the root of David, one day, the Davidic Messiah, he will come and he will restore his creation and restore relationships. And even then, did you catch that in the scripture? Other nations are going to be involved. That it's not just the people of Israel, but even here in Amos chapter 9, we know that God is going to open up his arms to more than just his chosen people. And then we see in Ephesians chapter 1, read this morning, that, that there is a gathering of all nations that are called to him. This is good news. Luckily, we have the upper hand. I mean, can you imagine being in the northern kingdom? Like, okay, like David is long ago. Like, yes, King David was fantastic, but like, how is this going to happen? What is that going to look like? How is this kingdom going to come? How is it going to come into fruition? And then years go by before we finally get to Jesus. But he did come. God with us in the flesh, walking this earth. Beautiful, beautiful. God is one who always fulfills his promises. In fact, Isaiah 42, another prophet, he says in uh, chapter 42, he says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Another prophetic word from the prophet Isaiah, speaking again of this coming king of Jesus. And again, what is some of the the rhythm of what we hear in the prophecies to come? That justice will be done. He will bring justice. We know that Jesus came to save us, to deliver us, to restore the creation, to restore the hearts of mankind, and to establish justice in the earth. Flipping forward in the gospel to Luke chapter 4, we hear Jesus himself quoting the prophet Isaiah kind of his coming out party, declaring who he is, right? There in the synagogue of who he is and what he has come to do. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is Jesus reading from the scroll of Isaiah in the middle of the temple saying this is who I have come to fulfill this. He's saying he's the one that fulfilled what the prophet Amos was saying, what the prophet Isaiah was saying. Like this is the fulfillment. He is the root of David. He is the Messiah. He is the one who was to come. And so Jesus came. He grew up. And he opens up the scroll, and the world is forever changed. And he declares what he is about and what good news it is. Let me ask this uh, this morning, church, the people in Amos' day, could they have sought God enough to save them from their sins? No. The people in Amos' day could not let justice and righteousness roll enough to save themselves from their own sin. And all of us sitting here in these chairs, we cannot seek God enough to save ourselves from our own sin. There is not enough offering to give. There is not enough worship to sing. There is not enough Bible to read. There is not enough Bible studies to go to. There are not enough burritos to eat in the name of a men's Bible study to save ourselves from our sin. The people in Amos' day couldn't do it. Like, they had, like, they had correction given. They had the sacrifices. They had the grain offerings. They had all of those things. They were experiencing material wealth, and they had the opportunity to turn away from, like, the injustice that they were perpetrating on people. They had the opportunity to turn away from the oppression that they were providing. They had the opportunity to lift up the poverty, to lift up the poor, to reach out, to bring justice, to bring righteousness. They had the opportunity to turn away from what they were doing and to start to do good and to seek the lord and to do amazing things in god's name and if they did all of that would they be saved from their sins no no and yet jesus came and he changed the world again we have the upper hand here we are so many years later we know that jesus came and we know that we're sitting here in these chairs and there is not enough good things for us to do to save ourselves from our sin. It is good to pray. It is good to bring an offering. It is good to eat burritos. It is good to gather and discuss God's word. It is good to participate in discipleship. It is good to lead your family. It is good to sing songs of worship. It is good to serve others and to reach out to the oppressed and to fight for justice and fight for righteousness. It is good to do all of those things. But apart from Christ, that is nothing. We have something that is wrong with our nature and our DNA. And we, from day one, are in rebellion to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And until we come under his authority and recognize that we're going to follow Jesus and confess his name as Lord and Savior, there's not enough good that we can do to save ourselves from our sin. And yet we have such great hope for us. Ephesians chapter 2, which you guys are going to get to in a study here in a couple weeks, it's amazing. Ephesians chapter 2 kind of lays it all out for us. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. There's nothing that we can do. We cannot earn salvation on our own. There is nothing that we can do on our own. It is by grace that we have been saved through faith and faith alone. And that is such a great truth and that we need to recognize our own tendency to be very similar to what we're finding in 750, C, 750 bc israel we have tendencies to be just like that don't we we can we can even like you know i don't want to meddle too much this morning but we can even come to these chairs and sit in here and kind of look a lot like what was going on in the northern kingdom in 750 bc i can certainly do that in my life it's easy to check the boxes and do the things and you know, direct deposit, you know, just, it just goes. But God sees our heart. He wants our heart. He loves our heart. He cares deeply for people, and he cares deeply for our hearts. And there's not enough acts of righteousness or justice. There's not enough old ladies to bring across the street safely to earn our own salvation. It is through faith in Christ alone. Okay, so let me be very, very, very clear. That's what Paul is saying in Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved through faith. But, but, he's not done there. He doesn't stop there. He says that we are his workmanship. That word workmanship is like a like masterpiece, like this beautiful picture of like what God's creation. Like, we are his workmanship. We're saved by faith. By grace, To be his workmanship, to be this poem, to be this beautiful picture of who we were designed to be. Maybe cookie-cuttered into exactly the shape that he wanted us to be. We are his workmanship. We are made in his image to bear his image. And in my opinion, this is where the the Christian life gets super exciting. Because salvation is not all about saving yourself from eternal punishment. It's about recognizing that Jesus meant it when he said he was preaching the kingdom. That he is indeed the king of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He is the one that holds it all together. This is indeed who he says he is. And so when we choose to follow Jesus, to believe in his name, to recognize him as king and to confess him as Lord and Savior, and to receive the forgiveness of sin through his death on the cross and resurrection, we are not only saved from our sin, but we join him in bringing the kingdom. We're filled with the Holy Spirit and the fruits of spirit begin to spring forth from our life. We begin to look more and more like the one who created us. It's as if he's rolling out the dough and he's getting the image that he wants you to be and he's shaping it and peeling away the things that reflect the northern kingdom from back in Amos' day. And he peels that away. We will not be perfect. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> We will struggle. We will stumble and fall. And we will walk in forgiveness and grace, knowing that he is with us. And piece by piece, we begin to reflect his character to the world, not our own. 2 Corinthians, Paul again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. More and more as we seek the Lord, we will allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. The more and more we learn from his word, with reading his scriptures, praying and talking through that and walking with other believers, being discipled, we will reflect his character to the world. His heart, God's heart, is for justice and righteousness. His heart, as we see in the book of Micah, is to walk humbly, to love mercy and to do justice. His heart, as we read through the gospels, is to love Our neighbor. His heart is for these things. So, not only are we called to be his workmanship to reflect his image to the world around us, but we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. We're created for good works. And James, of course, we've got to love James, flip over to James. Hebrews, James, right there, towards the back of the Bible. James 1.27 says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And James 2 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things that are needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So is James and Paul, are they at odds with each other? No, it is so connected. We are saved by grace through faith alone. So that we can be this masterpiece, this workmanship, this beautiful picture, this image-bearing person that produces fruit from the Holy Spirit in our life. So that we can do good works. So that we can go and let justice and righteousness flow like a mighty river. So that our, when, our, when our hearts become in line with the hearts of God, our heart begins to break for the, heart, the things that breaks God's heart. That we care deeply for the people who are being oppressed. That we see poverty and we want to do something about it. And when we see someone who is oppressed, we want to do something about it. Like there's something in us that moves and says, "I like that breaks God's heart, it breaks my heart. Because as we become more and more like him, as his Holy Spirit moves in our life and, and opens up avenues of mercy that somebody like me never thought he would have, an ounce of mercy... We bring in pieces of compassion. Like, oh, there's, there's actually compassion in this guy? Like, that's the Holy Spirit moving in your life. And our heart begins to reflect the love and the character of Christ. And our king wants to see righteousness and justice flow. Our king cares about the oppressed. Our king cares about the poor. Our king cares cares about the people and as we read through scriptures would you say would you say that that scriptures speak to those that are oppressed and would you say that there are political issues that the bible will speak directly to there's issues that are perhaps even divisive in the world today and yet the bible has a pretty clear picture of god's heart for a lot of these issues The heart of God is to bring restoration. And as we choose to follow him, we will be drawn to follow him in his heart for the oppressed, for the poor, and for those in need. Spiritual needs and physical needs. I have the opportunity to teach a Bible once a week with this uh, small community of, uh, of students. Um, you know, any, I think ages like 5 to, I don't know, 18. And so it's, it's a fantastic group of people. And uh, so we're kind of teaching different stories throughout Scripture. And this last week, I, I was able to teach the story of the spies going into the land. Right, Finn? Yes. And uh, you got it, right? Yeah, okay. And like how many, how many spies went out? There's like 12 spies that went out and 10 came back. And what did they say? Well, first... They came back with the most amazing grapes, did they not? Like, they cut like a clump of grapes that required two people with a pole stringing between them and holding, you know, all the way back to the people of Israel, bringing this massive branch. I don't know, like, it the, 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 must have been really nice grapes, is all I can say, right? Take Two dudes to bring these grapes back? Fantastic grapes. Phenomenal. And they came back with the report saying that the land, the promised land, it was a land flowing with milk and honey and really nice grapes. And And, like, it is fantastic. It's God's land that he gave us, but, oh, there's a problem. All of the people are really big, and they're scary, and they got big swords and shields, and, like, they're tough. There's a Nephilim, and there's, like, the sons of Anak, and it's like, oh, this is terrible. This is scary. Like, I know it's good. Check out these grapes, but they're scary. And, of course, two people, Caleb and Joshua, they come back and, like, no, 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 no. Let's go right now. God will deliver it into our hands. It's the promised land. God is the one who fulfills his promises. Do we forget about the Red Sea? Do we forget about all these other things? No, this is, this is who God is. He is the one that fulfills his purposes. And check out those grapes. <laughs> I think sometimes we are like the 10. That we're like, I know, God. Like, I know. Your heart breaks for the oppressed. Your heart breaks for... The people in need your heart breaks for those that are in poverty your heart breaks for those that are in need your heart breaks for those and mine does too but but fill in the blank fill in the blank maybe it's that you just find yourself in a bubble and that you're just not interacting with with people maybe you're in a place where you allow your politics to kind of trump the heart of God sorry to meddle but that can happen Maybe in a place where you're just not able to see things. Maybe, and this is true too, because we've been there. We feel like we're there more often than not. We feel sometimes we're the oppressed. And if you're there that, this morning, I just want to tell you, God's heart is for you. And you are in the right place. Because there are people here in this church that want to love you. And if you're feeling oppressed, and if you're feeling like you are the one in need... Like you are in the right place. Come alongside people and share that. This church wants to help. Because this church has the heart of God. I think Jesus wants to shape us into Christmas cookies. And his heart is for you. And not all of us are wired the same. I don't have a strong mercy gift like my wife. But I had the opportunity to to kind of take care of my daughter all day yesterday and somehow was able to kind of, you know, it was an act of the Holy Spirit. I'll just say that. (laughs) And she is a delightful patient and was amazing. I just don't do some of that stuff. And yet, um, and yet, my heart is for uh, for God's heart, and his heart cares for those in need. That's a small little example. The, God wants to shape you. You are hardwired specifically with spiritual gifts that are designed to do something for the kingdom of God. Like you have a spiritual gift. You have talent. You have skills. You have abilities. you got two hands, two feet. You are wired to do something for the kingdom of God, and he has purposes for you, and he is like, shaping you into a Christmas cookie for the kingdom of God, okay? Would you take a seven-day challenge with me? Would you ask God for seven days how you can bring justice and righteousness to this community? There are many issues in the world today that would be right in line with the heart of God, and sometimes we allow our politics to get in the way of seeing a need. Sometimes we find ourselves in a bubble, and it's just tough to see the needs. Would you pray each day for seven days, And just ask God, God, how can I join you in bringing righteousness and justice to this community? Just seven days. God, how can I bring righteousness and justice to this community? You know, when true justice and righteousness are flowing in a community, you know that we are getting a glimpse of the kingdom of God right here on earth. Let's pray. Jesus, we are grateful for this little shepherd from Tekoa. Your word is living and active. And Holy Spirit, we trust that you will work in our hearts. And over this next week, would you answer our cry? Would you help to align our hearts with yours? It is a joy. We are so grateful grateful for the forgiveness of our sins. We are grateful that we can join you in this revolution of bringing your kingdom here on earth as it is done in heaven. Lord, would you be the one who fulfills promises? Would you answer our prayers this week? Give us opportunities to serve. In your name we pray, amen. amen. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end our, uh, our time together. This morning with a benediction out of Ephesians chapter 3. You can stand with me. Would you? Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Have a great day.